are listening to the John DePietro Show on 99.9 FM and 1380 AM. News Talk WNRI. Well, folks, good afternoon. Right now it is 12.06. 12.06. It's Thursday. It's January 19th. And you're listening. You are to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. Now, you can always, always, always listen online at the website, dpetro.com. Now, if you're tuning in and wondering, hey, how come, where's the Facebook Live? And no, no, we are uh, installing some new equipment, so that will return tomorrow. So today, we are back to, it's a radio day, right here on the John DePietro Show. And folks, this portion of the program is brought to you by Matthews Oil Company. Remember, trusted oil, you, your family, you can depend on Matthews Oil Company. Who's your oil provider? Why not switch and make it Matthews Oil Company. That's right. Call them today, 401-942-7500. 401-942-7500 for Matthews Oil Company. 24-hour emergency service. You can depend. You can on Matthews Oil Company. Call them right now, 401-942. Wait a minute. That's right, 942 7500 Matthews Oil Company, 24-hour emergency service. They're there when you need them. Call right now and and budget plans available. Budget plan budget plans available, Harry. Da 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 with the Matthews Oil Company. The governor who lives with his mother. Call Matthews Oil Company today. 401 942 7,500. Well, folks, it is one. It is the John DePietro Show at 1208 in the Ocean State on this Thursday. Now, we give you the latest. The Anna Walsh, Brian Walsh case, so gruesome. We'll give you that. But also, we're going to have a lot more if you would be so kind as to visit the website. Now, also, there is breaking news with uh, Alec Baldwin has now been charged with involuntary manslaughter. So, Alec Baldwin who was trying to go into the guise of, yeah, I was just holding the gun and it went off. <laughs> um, that's not happening. So we'll give you the latest on that. And uh, and check out the website, dpetro.com. Everyone asks me, everywhere I go, when's the next episode of Cranston PD Live? Very soon. But we're watching the weather a little bit because I've done it in bad weather. And it's tough to do it in bad weather. It's tough to do it when it's, for instance, raining outside. Uh, I don't know about the snow, but we'll, it's definitely coming soon. But if you've missed any of it, you can check it out by logging on to the website, which is dipetro.com. And don't forget, dipetro.com, which is brought to you by the Coesed Inn, 226 Coesed Avenue in West Warwick. Uh, lunch, dinner. We were there Sunday night. What did Kate have? Kate had something delicious. Jacqueline Claire ordered something. I had a delicious meal. We saw the owner, Jim. Folks, they're waiting for you. They uh, Literally right now, they're waiting for you, especially lunch. The Coesed Inn, 226 Coesed Avenue in West Warwick. Now, where was I this morning? That's a fair question. I'm not offended. You can ask me that. One, where were you? I was this morning guilty. Yes, I was at 
the Officer Dolan trial. Now, this is the uh, trial that's going on right now, and it has to do with the fact with this off-duty Pawtucket police officer that shot the teenager. So now I'm going to take you inside the court. It is I am working on finding out about the ability to uh, broadcast from the tribe because they have pool camera coverage. And but I'm going to th- this is going to go on for a while. This was the off duty officer, the, the Pawtucket police officer who, in essence, shot. He was off duty. He was following the car and he shot the uh, um, young man, Dominic Vincent, as they he and his friends were getting ready to uh, pick up a pizza and then go watch the NBA finals. So. I'm going to see if there's a way that we can um, get. But I'll, I'll say this. There's, uh, now, you would think, and as we heard from our legal expert, Attorney Tim Dodd, I mean, you, you would think that it is a uh, pretty t- it's a tough case, right? Now, again, but right now, I'll tell you what, what Officer Dolan has, and he's the off-duty Pawtucket police officer. And one of the reasons why I always tell you that it pays to go to court because I'm not relying on what the what the you know other reporters if you will what the the media and and nothing against them or anything but this this whole business um, regarding you know officer which is it is a tough case but I'll tell you as I sat in this morning, Officer Dolan's attorney, Michael Colucci, very skilled. Who does he have on the stand? 20-year-old Dominic Vincent. And he's, not, he's going through step-by-step step of this. And in my opinion, as someone that was sitting there, I think the witness is talking a little bit too much because every time that defense lawyer Michael Colucci, who defends a lot of attorneys, there's a jury trial now. Every time he starts to move on, the witness, who again, I get it, he's 20 years old, he was shot in the arm. I just wonder how much they prepped this young man for it. I could see where he could actually start to gain some ground in this case. And I'm not saying it's going to be successful, but the argument becomes apparently he's got the young man who was shot on the sand admitting. And I don't know if he was, but he I just saw him on the stand saying, yeah, I was driving 126 miles an hour in an Audi. So so Officer Dolan who's off duty starts following him. Pulls in, he gets out with the badge. And the the narrative that defense lawyer Michael Colucci seems to be trying to weave here is that the reason that they pulled out, even though he pulled out his badge, was because, because they were afraid they were in trouble because they were going fast on the highway. And, you know, I, I was chatting with, there's some defense attorneys that are there that are watching it. And one of them said to me, 
This is why we don't put our clients on the stand, because they just start talking too much. But I could see, now depending on how this goes, and he's going to put Officer Dolan on the stand. They were driving fast. I went to follow. And then he starts to make the argument, the reason why you started to pull away is you were felt, you he he knew he was an off, a police officer, and he, he went, he started to drive away because he felt he was in trouble for speeding. Because what what they just left off with was as he was shot, they then pulled over farther down the road, and they said you you went to him for help. <clears throat> so why would you do that if you still thought that he was quote you know a bad guy? And you were trying to get away from him. So now again, uh, what's interesting to me is the element of this is the prosecution. Now, Michael Colucci, initially, initially, I thought, wow, he's he's being pretty rough on this kid, uh, this young man who who was shot and. Initially, I thought, <clears throat> "Wow, this could backfire." He's being a little—he's being a little rough on him, and you know, maybe this could end up backfiring with with the jury. But I don't—I um, don't know right now. We're gonna have to wait and see how this plays out. But again, this—I um, I would just say this young man that's on the stand, from what I witness now, and again, I've met him. He recognized me in the hallway. Uh, he has nice parents. I know his attorney, Jim Howe. I, <clears throat> he's a 20-year-old kid. My impression is he's a 20-year-old kid who might just be talking a little bit too much. That's all. I'm not, <clears throat> I can totally get it. Um, I get that, you know, how upsetting it must be. And and it's not easy to get up there, but I, I'm seeing you know, a lot of times, and I'm not trying to play Monday morning quarterback, but when he would say to Officer Dolan's attorney, we disagree on that, just as the attorney would get ready to move on, um, he would inject something else, and then suddenly it just keeps going from there. So... You know, I, I think there's there's definitely a lesson there to maybe maybe you don't say anything. Um, just a thought. Again, I'm not saying it's not easy being up there, but this this trial could go on for a while. This was he was off duty. Um, I think I have some sound on this because I definitely the TV stations are there and and I I actually know the judge Judge Lou Matos. He's the judge here. I went to grammar school with the judge and. Um, but I, I also found it intriguing, folks, and again, good afternoon at 1217. I am going to give you the latest on the on a Walsh case. But I think it's interesting that um, that other criminal defense attorneys are popping in, and they, they kind of want to see how, um, how Michael Colucci is handling this case. And it, it sounds like it's nothing is going to really it seemingly happened until officer dolan gets up on the stand by the way i also want to mention uh and congratulate so now we've learned 
Hugh Clemens, the outgoing Providence police chief, has been named director of the Office of Community-Oriented Policing Services, COPS, Community-Oriented Policing Services for the U.S. Department of Justice, advancing community policing nationwide. Established in 1994, provides law enforcement agencies, grants, knowledge, training. Uh, he's leaving. So this is uh, tremendous. And I'll, I'll catch up with the chief at some point. So, uh, so, but a statement even came out from U.S. Attorney Merrick Garland. So how about that? This is apparently he, Chief Clements, and, and kudos to him. So he's, he's leaving for a big position. And then you have... I don't know what to make of this. Uh, so now Seacock has cut ties with Dean Isabella. He was in Providence. He, um, uh, he was placed on leave earlier this month. They've seen a directional shift. They find out that on, on, on stationary, he applied for the chief's job in Providence. And suddenly now they, he's out. So... That doesn't sound like that was a good idea. I don't know what. I don't know enough about it. I've met uh, former Dean Isabella. I've met him in the past. Um, I, um, I'm not sure what to make of that, as a matter of fact. But that's, that is, um, um, I, that just I don't know what to make of that 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 particular decision that he decided to it's one thing you want to go for the police chief's job in Providence, but apparently Seacon found out about it and they're not happy about it. And the next thing you know, Seacon leaders voted to remove him. So that doesn't sound like that was a good idea. Now, I think I have sound of yeah. Let me play a little teenager testifies trial of the Pawtucket um, police officer, Officer Dolan. He was, again, off duty. I, I um, Folks, you never know until you're in the courtroom. I mean, I, as you heard, I was saying with attorney Tim Dodd, that, that seemed like it was a real uphill battle. But let me just hear, this was the Channel 10 piece. On the- with violent results. He goes on trial today. The Pawtucket police officer is accused of shooting an 18-year-old in the arm in June 2021. NBC10's Joanna Boris reports the officer claims he feared for his life when he fired the shot. Joanna? Patrice Dan, the defendant, sat in court today as the man he's accused of shooting took the stand. Now, both sides agree the teen driver was speeding, but was it necessary to shoot him? June 23rd, 2021. Dominic Vincent says he was driving two friends to pick up a pizza in West Greenwich. Officer Daniel Dolan's attorney says he'd just gotten off of work and was heading home on I-95 when Vincent sped by. Dolan in a white truck pulled in behind the black Audi at Wicked Good Pizza. Security video shows Dolan approached the car and flashed his police badge, which Vincent thought was fake. When the teen went to take off, the defense claims the cop feared for his life. He said, you're going to get shot. Seconds later, Vincent says his car window shattered. My arm is hot, burning. It's 
tilting kind of or swaying. I can't move it correctly. Vincent pulled over and Dolan approached him. But it was something along the lines of, what the f*** were you doing on the highway? Why the f*** were you driving like that? He says Dolan made a tourniquet for his bleeding arm and called for help. That's right, we'll pick back up here tomorrow at 9.30 in the morning. Live in Warwick, Joanna Boris, NBC10 News. All right, so I saw her in court. That is, um, yeah, that was a decent report. I'm telling you, though, things have definitely shifted a little bit in in the trial. So that trial, it continues. It's going to go on for a while. Uh, but I, 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 again, I'm not saying, should he have pulled his, absolutely not. Shouldn't have pulled the weapon off-duty. Uh, he had no business being there, fired the weapon. He saw somebody driving fast on the highway, could have called it into state police, could have gotten the plate. Um, there's no reason for him to jump into action in any way. None. But let's, we're going to have to wait and see and they, if they can weave it in a way that they're going to try to set up. And again, I'm just, that potentially... Um, if they could convince one of the jurors that these kids were driving fast, they afraid they were in trouble. If he gets up on the stand, they were driving at me. I thought, um, I thought they were, you know, they were going to drive right at me. That that's why I fired. Now, folks, right now at twelve twenty-three, I'm also seeing this mag and drag. Santos competed in Brazil pageants. This George Santos, the Republican congressman, <laughs> was drag queen in Brazil pageants. He is so bizarre. This one, I um, you know, for as much as Kevin McCarthy, now they need his vote. So, but U.S. Representative George Santos competed as a drag queen in Brazil beauty pageants 15 years ago. <laughs> the embattled freshman congressman has also faced calls from fellow New York Republicans to step down. A 58-year-old Brazilian performer who uses the drag name Ayula Rocha said she befriended the new congressman when he was cross-dressing in 2005 at the first gay pride parade. Three years later, he competed in a drag beauty pageant. Another person who knew the 34-year-old congressman asked not to be named said he participated in drag queen beauty pageants and aspired to be Miss Gay Rio de Janeiro. The congressman said on Twitter that claims that I'm a drag queen and perform are categorically false. I will not be distracted. Santos is the first openly gay Republican to win a house seat in Congress. His positions himself as a staunch conservative of many social issues. <laughs> this guy is just nonstop. Where does he come from? I mean, I, I am sure Kevin McCarthy cannot believe that he is dealing with George Santos. But hey, this is New York. Now let the others let the other side attack him. And Congressman Cicilline is also having a, a press briefing with um Seth Magaziner to complain about the Republicans. You know, the two of them are just, do they do add anything to the state? Cicilline and Seth Magaziner, do they add anything to the state? Folks, this portion of the John DePietro show, hey, it's a new year. Right now it's 1225 on this Thursday. It's a new year. And I would like to offer you a free consultation. Tom Bryan, Ameriprise Financial. He'll put you first, the leader 
retirement planning, call today, free consultation. Why not make sure your finances are in order? Ameriprise Financial. For over 125 years, and right now on this Thursday, offering you a free consultation, call Tom Bryan today, 401-434-1510. Offices located at 400 Massasoit Avenue in East Providence, Ameriprise Financial. And whatever it may be, maybe it is retirement planning, maybe you're retired, and you're saying, you know, I could use a little extra income, but you want to get some solid advice about that, because you don't want to, you know, you don't want to impact or have that effect your retirement. Sit down, Tom Bryan, Ameriprise Financial. Take advantage of this free consultation, 401-434-1510. All right, right now it's 1226. Now, as far as the Walsh Brian Walsh murder case, which is what it is right now, and at some point it will be a trial. I'm probably going to talk about that a little bit more next hour. I hope you heard we had our legal expert attorney Tim Dodd on. If not, I'm going to replay it just because he really kind of maps through the whole thing. Now, there's there's new information coming out today that her uh, the amount of hours that she had to work uh, was was a big part of um, contention within their marriage and. And I can understand that um, that that apparently, you know, there she was on a Walsh commuting to D.C. She'd have to spend the week there. She took the job there. And then he's living with his, the mother's living with him and the three boys in Cohasset. And she wanted to have the three boys, two, four and six, living with her in D.C. So. But I want to go to, uh, there's a story in the Boston Globe. Legal experts say a suspect can be charged with murder without a body, but the case is tough to prosecute. So I think that is interesting. And then as I mentioned now, at 1228 on this Thursday, prosecutors are charging Alec Baldwin involuntary manslaughter in that fatal movie set shooting. I, again, this stuff, if, if you notice anything, it, it can take a long time to go work its way through the process. But let me um, just touch on uh, the the uh, Boston Globe piece. After Brian Walsh allegedly killed his wife in their Cohasset home, prosecutors say he made a number of online searches related to bodily dismemberment and decomposition, including can you be charged with murder without a body? The answer, legal experts say, is unequivocally yes. Many cases of convictions and no-body murder cases. Says Mark Garagos, the surrounding circumstances of the disappearance and the accusations of the accused take front and center. On Wednesday, prosecutors presented an array of evidence against Brian Walsh, alleging he dismembered his wife after killing her early January 1st, that Sunday, New Year's Day, then discarded her body at various locations. First Assistant District Attorney Lynn Baylor said Wednesday during Walsh's arraignment in Quincy District Court that he entered a series of grisly search terms on his son's iPad about getting rid of a body after the killing, including 10 ways to dispose of a dead body if you really need to. Is it better to throw crime scene clothes away or wash them? Days before the murder, Brian Walsh had Googled what was, quote, the best state for getting a divorce. So investigators also found blood in the basement of the couple's home, as well as 
a bloody damaged knife, second knife. I, I didn't know about the second knife. And DNA evidence from items that he discarded. Electro- electronic evidence, such as single-minded internet searches Walsh allegedly made, can be particularly important in so-called nobody cases, says Martin Weinberg, prominent Boston defense attorney. A nobody murder charge elevates the central element of circumstantial evidence. Prior to the area of iCloud and email seizures, that evidence ordinarily depended upon witnesses providing information, establishing mode of an opportunity. Today, it's often the defendant's own words or Internet archives. Now, remember, with a motive, notice what he mentioned, motive and opportunity, and then it also comes into means. Means, motive, and opportunity are always three key pieces of um, of, a, of a murder charge and investigation. Now, Rosanna Cavallaro, Suffolk Law Professor, former Assistant Attorney General in Mass, pointed to one key element in the Walsh case. Anna Walsh's co-workers reported her missing, not her husband. That, I think, she says, combined with the cleaning supplies, it's pretty hard for the defense to get over. She teaches courses on criminal law and evidence at Suffolk. Not impossible, but pretty tough. Authorities said that on January 2nd, Brian Walsh went to a Rockland Home Depot and bought $450 worth of cleaning supplies, including mops, brushes, tape, tarp, a Tyvek suit, which is also referred to as like the hazmat suit. With boot covers, a hatchet, and baking soda. Yeah. Uh, do you have any other hatchets? I, you know what? I think I might have one in the back room. He wore gloves and a mask at checkout. Video from the store showed and paid cash. Why is this man buying $400 worth of cleaning supplies? Why is he lying to police? So this is... Cavallaro again. So I don't think it's impossible to get a guilty verdict. Still, the lack of a body gives defense lawyers more, quote, wiggle room in their efforts to establish reasonable doubt. These no-body cases are challenging in part because of an ancient legal concept, which positions the government needs to prove a crime has occurred before charging anyone with it. That sounds simple enough. But what about cases like Anna Walsh, where everything points to foul play and to the husband's involvement, but there's no body? Compelling circumstantial circumstantial evidence can lead to a conviction in such cases. Once prosecutors obtain a grand jury indictment in the coming weeks, Walsh's case will shift to Norfolk Superior Court in Dedham, the same courthouse where Joseph Romano was prosecuted for beating his wife to death uh, with a baseball bat inside their Quincy home in 1998, although her body was never found. Legal experts describe Romano's 2002 trial as the first time in modern Massachusetts history someone was tried for murder without the victim's body. The standard foundation for murder prosecutions is an autopsy by the medical examiner's office, who determines whether a person's death was natural, an accident, or due to an act of violence. 
But in the Romano trial, there was no autopsy. And the only biological evidence that Catherine Romano had died were bits of tissue and bone discovered uh, on a chainsaw Romano borrowed from a neighbor. Hey, can I borrow your chainsaw? Oh, do you have some uh, debris you're trying to get rid of? Something like that. DNA testing showed the material belonged to Catherine Romano. And family and friends testified she disappeared and must have been killed. Yet while prosecutors charged Romano with first-degree murder, a crime that carries an automatic sentence of life without parole, jurors convicted him of second-degree murder, which allows him to seek release from state prison someday. Three jurors in the trial told the Globe, that while they were convinced he killed Karen Romano, they did not believe he planned it in advance. One of the key elements to convict a person of first-degree murder. The general consensus was that it was probably committed in the heat of the moment and didn't take long to think about it. I think that's interesting because, you know, think of he's buying this stuff afterwards. Larry Tipton a lawyer who represented Romano at trial, said the prosecutors could have an easier time time proving guilt in a no-body murder case owing to advances in DNA technology, forensics, and the collection of electronic evidence. Yet prosecutors may worry that a juror could have some reasonable doubt regarding the strength of their case. For, For the defense... The challenge is to, quote, educate the jury completely about the limitation of what appears to be this overwhelmingly powerful forensic evidence if they never find the actual body. Folks, again, at 1236, you're listening to The John DePietro Show on AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always visit my website, dpetro.com. In another Massachusetts case, William Douglas, former associate professor at Tufts. Pled guilty 1984, manslaughter, bludgeoning death, Robin Robin Benedict, 21-year-old he killed at his Sharon home in 1983 before discarding her body, which was never recovered. Douglas was sentenced 18 to 20 years in state prison after pleading guilty the day his murder trial was scheduled to begin. Telling state police he left the body in a dumpster in, you guessed it, Providence. Authorities said at the time any efforts at excavation would be foolhardy, fruitless, prohibitively expensive, and in fact, basically impossible. A former federal prosecutor serves as enforcement director in Los Angeles acknowledged prosecuting a murder case without a body is an ideal. Obviously, if you're a prosecutor, you want the body. Uh, One is that uh, two defenses available to him. So this is interesting. What could be the defenses for Brian Walsh? One is that Anna Walsh, a mother of three young children with a high-end real estate job, D.C., up and left her family. But that's not consistent with the evidence. An alternative defense could be asserting Brian Walsh was the victim of an elaborate frame job in which someone else entered the search terms on his son's iPad browser. That kind of defies all logic and credibility. Any doubt, now keep in mind, he has three boys. 
ages two, four, and six. That kind of defies all logic and credibility. Any doubt for an acquittal has to be reasonable. Tracy Minor, the lawyer for Brian Walsh, or a lawyer for Brian Walsh, said she intends to win this case in court. It's easy to charge a crime, easy to say a person committed the crime, much more difficult thing to prove. She said, I'm not going to comment on the evidence. I'm not going to try this in the media. In her experience, she said, when the prosecution leaks so-called evidence to the press before they can provide it to me, the case isn't that strong. When they have a strong case, they give me everything as soon as possible. We shall see what they have, what evidence is admissible in court, and that's where it will be decided. So I I still come back to, because there are people saying that. Maybe she took off. Maybe she left. There's no evidence to suggest that at all. I believe, but but I want to just pivot back to this this case of Officer Dolan. It's it's still it's 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 never easy. But I I believe there's a lot here. I believe such as he didn't report her missing. Um, I think the testimony of her coworkers. She was planning on, you know, they haven't got into that. Moving the boys to D.C., she had decorated her rooms for them. She would, every possible moment, spend with those three beautiful young boys. And then we're talking about his background and what could come into play. So I think the cleaning supplies, the fact that her phone was pinging in the house, and he immediately went online after he killed her. Now, that's interesting. Maybe it was a heat of the moment. Maybe he didn't plan on doing it. Maybe it was some kind of just last minute. Maybe it was kind of an impulse. It was an argument. Whatever it may be. That part we don't know. But, they, they, well, I mean, did he? Yes. But Maybe, maybe it is going to be difficult with the first degree. Maybe it was an argument that ensued. He's definitely a psychopath. But I think, just hear me out. I think you can make an argument that if he was truly planning it, wouldn't he have gone to Home Depot and all those things prior to that? So that's a good point. Now, New Hampshire is going to try to prosecute. That is exactly right. They're going to try to prosecute um, Nathan Carmen without the body. That was never recovered. So there's that possibility. That is exactly right. And there's no body there. But that, um, that, that would be that without a body. And another example of someone uh, without you know, prosecuting someone without a body. Nathan, definitely Nathan Carmen. But I, I think I'm just trying to play devil's advocate, folks, because I think it comes down to, you know, is it is it possible? You know, and what they're trying to get to is, remember, the premeditated. Now, obviously, you know, I, I think that is, <clears throat> we've seen, and again, that's why we have a legal expert, attorney Tim Dodd, but, there's a lot of circumstantial evidence here, <clears throat> and as far as the premeditated, definitely the aftermath. 
definitely the aftermath, right? He immediately went online, was Googling those various things. The cleaning supplies, didn't report her missing. Lied to the police, misled the police. It was definitely that. But I've seen, I remember there was a, a case where... There were two people that went outside of a bar, and one of them shouted, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill you. And then he, he did kill him. Now, I'm trying to say, hey, listen, it was, it was accidental. There was an argument in the bar. They took the fight outside the bar. But they went after him, and he said, I'm going to kill you, and he did. Now, then his defense was, listen, he was there. The guy spilled a drink on him. He insulted him. He said, let's take this outside. It was his intention to fight him, but not kill him. But I know that then he harped on the, well, he stated, he stated, you know, um, that I'm going to kill you. So it showed some element of premeditated. The, 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 that's something that they're going to have to work on. Because keep in mind, they were entertaining that night. They had a friend over. And the Fred said there didn't seem to be any tension between the, the two of them. And they had a guest over New Year's Eve. But I'm also seeing the Daily Mail's reporting various friends saying there was a lot of tension in the marriage over her commuting back and forth and not seeing her three sons during the week. And then I spoke with someone that worked with her who said I helped her decorate her Washington home. And each of the boys had their own room. So, no, that was the plan. But however this spiraled, uh, it, it, it ended up with him killing her and then getting rid of the body and doing the cleanup and the evidence and everything else. Folks, right now at 1243, you're listening to The John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. This portion of our program is brought to you by Propane Plus. Do you use propane? You do? Call Propane Plus today at 401 401- 885-4209-401-885-4209 for Propane Plus. Now in Massachusetts, call them at 508-252-3359. Heating and cooling, propane is a great alternative. Call Propane Plus today, 401-885-4209. Whether you're a business or you use it uh, for your home, as many people do, Call Propane Plus, 401-885-4209, or you can always log on on their website. It's propaneplus.com. Well, folks, good afternoon. At 1244, you're listening to The John DePietro Show on AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. Uh, The Brian Walsh case, now that is going to go on for quite some time, but I think that's interesting that... Her friends, people that now know, are saying there was a lot of tension with the couple over her commuting and the back and forth. And the amount of time, as someone, you know, would tell me, one of her people that she worked with, one of her coworkers, said that she had to, you know, the flight from Logan to Washington, it's about an hour 10, hour 10. She would have to do that every Friday. She would land at Logan, then take an Uber or a Lyft. And coming from Logan, depending on time, that could be 45 minutes to their home in Cohasset. 
And then on Monday morning, she'd have to get up early and then fly into D.C. that way. This person told me she never left on Sunday night. She wanted to spend every possible moment with those with those boys. So um, so that that's what I was was told by someone who's very credible, who uh, obviously was well, I saw them at the home and and very, very uh, credible and knew her. And, and by the way, the co-workers of Anna Walsh, I mean, they, they're devastated. They, they loved her. They, they, she just got the job, the job there in March and was doing fantastic. And she was, you know, she was a force. She had people that reported to her. That's why it was also told to me this business that she had. Now, keep in mind, Brian Walsh will never take the stand unless they are so desperate. And then, I mean, it's possible, but he would just get he would get crucified on the stand. But um, but this whole business that he would. Oh, yeah. You know, she had a at a, at a work uh, uh, emergency. Um, that that is not the case. She had people that reported to her and that's what i was told by one of her co-workers it's true that she oversaw several properties but she had, there was there, there's no way that that she would have had to you know go back in that way she was coming back um on on the tuesday that's when she booked her flight for and they can try to point out well, that's what he initially said, right? But it sounds like that things were somehow coming to a head, though, in in the, their relationship. But again, and next time I'm going to play it a little bit more. But it is um, the amount of evidence that they were able to put together. And, and especially even him going up to those dumpsters in Abington and Brockton. And the, he didn't tell anyone because he needed the time for them to pick up the you know what what he had thrown away and what is so sadly so sad and so gruesome is he was delaying so what in fact her body would then be you know taken away by that what he had thrown in the dumpsters that is what is just so grisly and gruesome and horrific it is. He is a true sociopath, psychopath. He is a psychopath. He is a violent. Those Google searches, like look how quickly he jumped into action. Now, someone also asked me if, if I thought that someone had assisted him with this. And I'm just going to repeat that I have not seen any type of evidence that would lead us to believe that someone had been working with him. I haven't seen the authorities in any way hint that there might have been someone working with him to carry all this out. I haven't seen anything like that. 
So it doesn't mean it's possible, but it, it sounds, first of all, I'm not sure how many friends this psychopath had. I mean, he ripped off one million from the father. He uh, was involved with the art forgery. He, that smug look was he, that was his way of telling the police, you're never going to find her. I put her, the wife, in different dumpsters. You can drag me into court, but you're never going to find her. He is just a total psychopath. They thought he had been diagnosed as a sociopath. He's definitely a fraud. He's a liar. He's a con man. He's a criminal. He pled guilty to committing a crime of art forgery. But I think they, they, she, they just must not have thought. Now, we again, we don't know. You know, is he on something? Was he drinking that night? That is the type of stuff, the testimony I would imagine might come. But if their their guest stayed until 1.30 in the morning and he jumped into action on the son's iPad shortly after 4 o'clock, 4.30. So sometime between 4.30 and... Sometime between 1.30 when the guests left to 4.30 was when he jumped into action. And they have it all. You know what else? So, yeah, 4.55 was the first time he Googled how long before a body starts to smell. Now, again, we don't know yet, yet where it happened. He also Googled this business of how to remove clean how do you clean blood from a wooden floor? And so the two knives, is, so it, it sounds, we don't know where this happened. It could have been in the kitchen. Could have been in some part of that rental home. I mean, the police, I'm sure, have now gone through the whole home. They may know exactly where it happened, but maybe that's a tough one. Somehow she ended up in the basement. And then he went to work, which is just so, it's, it's, it's actually, it's, um, it's so disturbing to think about, right? Because there he is. There he is standing there glaring at them. He doesn't have one eye. He's not a mafia hitman from the 70s and 80s. I remember, and again, folks, good afternoon at 12.52. You're listening to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. You know, it's interesting. I won't get into it, but this morning I was surfing around a little bit and did hear a Boston I, I'm just amazed that some Boston talk shows, they don't even touch on it. Boston talk show host was still talking about just the Biden documents. Like, how do you not talk about this story? But but many years ago, how many? I think it was 2006. I actually interviewed Kevin Weeks, who was one of the henchmen for Whitey Bulger. And this was when Whitey Bulger was still on the loose. I was working for a station in Boston when then I told a joke and then the people that had taken over the station, they had a, an idea of who they wanted in my place. And I just say, instead of saying, hey, we've decided to go in a different direction, they made up and concocted this big thing. But anyhow, but I interviewed Kev, <clears throat> Kevin Weeks came out with a book. Whitey Bulger was still on the loose. And if you remember, so the trio was uh, Kevin Weeks, who was a bouncer at the Triple O's, and he worked with Steve Flemmie. The Rifleman and Whitey Bulger. And Kevin Weeks did an interview on 60 Minutes 
where he said that he was at one point he was then going to take out Howie Carr, who lived near a cemetery. And Kevin Weeks claimed that he was set up in the cemetery. He said this in an interview in 60 Minutes. He had a new book out, and he said that he was going to shoot Howie Carr, who lived, I think, across from a cemetery in Arlington. And Howie did the interview in 60 Minutes and said, I just don't think he had the stones. I think he was just saying that. I think Kevin Weeks even said he was going to put an explosive in a basketball or something like that. But anyhow, so because Kevin Weeks had the book out, I, I booked him. And I, I had him in studio for a full hour. And as I was reading his book, the Kevin Weeks book now. Now, I also learned, found out that Howie really didn't like that I had him in studio. And then... That started a lot of animosity. I I mean, I didn't have a lot of dealings with Howie, but I know he didn't like that I had Kevin Weeks in. So I've heard since then he sometimes takes shots at me, but I think that's what it essentially stems from, that I had Weeks in. But anyhow, not to get too off track here. Um, But then since then, I've seen them. I've had a Howie on the show about his books in the past. I've seen him from time, not that often, but from time to time. But anyhow, but Kevin Weeks... So I'm about to enter the studio, and then he's standing in the hallway with his back to me. And the thing that I wanted to ask him about was when Whitey Bulger um, killed someone in Steve Fleming's mother's house. And then they made Kevin Weeks bury her in the basement of the house in Southie. I think it was Deborah Davis. And the thing that really was just so, like, I, I, I couldn't get past it. was the element where he describes in the book that they, and I don't want to be too graphic here, folks, if you're writing in the car with children. It's not going to be graphic, but anyhow, but they removed their teeth. And I thought, my God. I mean, it's one thing to shoot someone, but to, I mean, how he strangled her, but, like, to actually get on top of someone and remove their teeth. And this was the time, you know, they, the criminals didn't know a lot about DNA, and, and so the thought was, if you remove the teeth and they found the body, then they can't go to the dental records. And I'll, I will never forget when Kevin Weeks turned around, his publicist that was with him said, oh, here's, you know, here's John. He's going to be doing the interview. Kevin Weeks turned around, and I am telling you right now, at 1256 on this Thursday, January 19th, I had never seen the eyes. He had the eyes of a wolf. He had these hollow eyes. Kevin Weeks now. He had the eyes of someone who had seen very ghastly things. I had never been up that close to someone. And I had been in and interviewed prisoners in prison. I mean, I've never been to prison, but I've gone and met and interviewed people in prison. But I'd never seen anyone like that, like seen him up close. I don't think we shook hands. But when he turned around, he had a big, thick neck. You know what? He looked like his eyes, Kevin Weeks. I don't know. I think he's still alive. I have no idea where he is. But I'll never forget that. It really gave me like, oh, so that's what it looks like. That's what somebody looks like. Like, that's the thing that got me. So you took pliers and you removed her teeth as you were burying her in the, the basement at Steve Fleming's mother's house in Southie. And then, but then, then there's Brian Walsh and he's just smug and he's just like a schlub. And it, it, it's, it's haunting, isn't it, folks? It's very, very grisly. 
Um, I mean, again, we hear about like the Holocaust and you hear about the Nazi guards or then you hear other war atrocities and things that go on in different parts of the world. It's um, if you've ever seen the movie Hotel Rwanda, there's there's a big scene in the film where the owner of the hotel is trying to save his wife and children and he he tells the general who's trying to get to help him like oh my god you know where are the the army and they're like oh they're headed towards your hotel and he says well i i have to get them my my wife and children are still back there and the general looks at him and says trust me like you don't want to go back there you have crazy men that are you don't want to see what they're about to do to anybody at that hotel which is rape and kill and just it's brutal um and then he panics and gets back and he actually saves, you know, his family. But but there's the husband standing there. Brian Walsh, smug, smug at the camera, looking at everybody, you know, like, you can try. You're not going to find her. Believe me, took me a lot. I'm exhausted for how much it took me. But I had to do all that cleaning and going, getting the supplies, and then driving around. You can try. But that's why he didn't contact the police reporter missing. He was waiting for. But they, they, he wasn't too smart, and he wasn't too smug. And a lot of the evidence may be lost, but they did find some. All right, right now it's 1259. Now, again, you're listening to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. We're going to break for the 1 o'clock news. We have another full hour to go. Now, again, some of the news of the day, I'm going to tell you a little bit. I was in court early this morning for that Dolan case, Officer Dolan Pawtucket. And then uh, the, the White House press secretary is really under fire. All right, we're going to break for the 1 o'clock news. Another full hour to go right here on the John DePietro Show. WNRI, Winsocket, W260DC. WNRI.